Welcome to episode 34 of African American with your girl, Six the Goddess. And keep in mind, I'm a goddess and I'm sensitive about my shift. Love and peace to you, family. I hope you're well. I'm doing well. Um, Today is a very significant day for me uh, because this is the, today marks the 10-year anniversary um, from when my mother passed away. Um, My mother was an amazing woman. Uh, I learned a lesson about womanhood, motherhood, parenthood from my mother. Even long after she had been gone, there are still lessons that I learned uh, because of her. And there are just lessons I've learned as a woman and as a daughter uh, in my mother's passing that I want to share with you all. And... If I'm given the experience as a daughter, you know, it it applies to just the experience as someone's child. Okay, so it's something that, you know, we all should listen to because the reality is that nine times out of ten, our parents are going to go before we do. And it's unimaginable, um, you know, life without a parent. Uh, So I think it's good to kind of be able to look across the tracks and hear from someone that has already experienced that so that you can know the regrets. You can know what I am happy about. You can know about the emotions. Because I think it just prepares us all for that moment where it it eventually happens. And it can also positively affect the way that we interact with our parents while they're still here. Sometimes it's good to hear. Like I said, when we're honest about our pain, uh, it heals us and it heals others. Uh, It's almost selfish to keep your pain to yourself um, because there's someone who may be going through that same pain or may be going through that same pain shortly. And if you've already figured out different coping mechanisms or you've already, you know, um, seen that clarity that hindsight clarity, why not share that? So my mother was first diagnosed with breast cancer. I was eight years old. Now, at the time, I understood that my mother was very sick, but I didn't understand what cancer was or necessarily how it worked. I actually didn't until recently fully understand what cancer is and how it works. So looking back, I, I, I do wish that someone would have more actively kind of explained to me um, what cancer is and how it was going to affect my mom. Because like I said, I did understand that she was sick, but I wasn't understanding what cancer would do. Um, so her first treatment, you know what? Why am I even saying treatment? Because chemotherapy and radiation is not treatment. It is actually what it's actually what kills you. Okay. So let me just go ahead and put that out there. So I should say that I'm just going to say the chemotherapy. So she went through her first round of chemotherapy and radiation. And so what happens when you go through that is it basically is killing any fast growing cells. So fast growing cells include your hair. Uh, It includes your nails uh, skin regeneration and things of that nature. Uh, so I, 
<laughs> and this is what I remember first. This is when I remember it really hitting me that my mother is sick is when she did start losing her hair. Uh, she grew very pale. Now, at this time, we had just moved to Florida from Pennsylvania. Um, if y'all don't know, I'm originally from Philly, um, but I grew up in Central Florida area. Well, I, sh- I shouldn't even say Central Florida. I should say South Florida and Central Florida. I grew up in both of those places. Um, but yes, we had just moved to Florida. And it's amazing to me that even though my mother was so sick, she still... I guess would rather have suffered on her own than to move back home where her family was. And I'm sure, and, and you know, we all have issues about our family or secrets about our family that nobody told us when we were children. And then you grow up and you start to find out why certain things happen. And it's very interesting, but I still don't necessarily have the real deal, like lowdown on why she was so adamant about not living in Philly and not being around our family. I don't know if she partially was doing it to stay away from my dad. I I don't know what the real reason was. But looking back, I'm like, man, you know, to be diagnosed with such a disease, like, why would you not want to go back to, you know, where you have some help? But that's just not what she wanted to do. So we decided to stick it out. Um, now, it's it was always just me, my mother, and my brother. It was always just the three of us, very happy with each other. We we didn't have much, but um, I just all, all I can remember is just how much I love my mom. Now, I I do believe that because of um, you know my mother's uh, state of her health and some of the stresses that I encountered uh, because of that. There are parts of my childhood that I don't remember. Um, my childhood uh, can get a little blurry for me at times, but I'm going to try to remember as much as I can because I think what your mind does is when certain things were painful to you, your mind kind of erases them like from your memory. It kind of like takes it away, I think, just to cope and to be able to move on. So I'm pretty sure that that's how it happened for me. Um, but Um, so my mother, like I said, was an artist and she really was like the personification of the typical, like overly creative minded kind of disorganized starving artist. Like that was my mom all the way. Like she was totally genius, totally talented, but she just was not the most organized person. So I kind of just remember being her like sidekick and like always trying my best to try to like keep her on track and try to keep the house somewhat clean and you know, and just manage what we had as as much as I could. Um, I I realize now that single parenting is so common for us as black people. Um, there are way too many of us that can say, okay, I was raised in a single parent home. It's crazy how much that normalizes that singleness to you. I, I went through uh, a lot of my life... Um, not even understanding the importance of having a partner uh, just because it had become normal to me to see my mother alone. Now, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why um, she she was married once, but that marriage, I don't know, that marriage was pretty bootleg. So I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I look back 
And I say, okay, this is why we have to sometimes just be easy on ourselves. Because I'm like, okay, so you watched a black woman raise two kids by herself and suffer by herself her whole life. (laughs) And you, you don't think that that will affect your mindset at all. This is when we have to be very honest with ourselves about our childhoods and realize that the things that happen in our childhoods definitely do shape who we are as people when we grow up to be adults. And that's just the reality. So, you know, like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty. So I, I meditate present day on my childhood and then I kind of forgive myself. I forgive myself for hating men at one point in my life. I forgive myself for being angry. I forgive myself for not forgiving myself sooner. We have to be realistic and sometimes and say, some of us, the way we were brought up was effed up. It was effed up and we had to sometimes give ourselves a pat on the back if we are still able to, you know, come from these unhealthy environments and still be good people and still believe in love and still want to try and still want to make a difference. That's a big deal because a lot of people can't do that. A lot of people fold. And they become bad people or they end up strung out on drugs or something crazy like that. Not everybody is mentally strong enough to survive that. So if you are a survivor of unhealthy upbringings and unhealthy childhoods, you deserve to be proud of you because it is a big deal. So this is how it was pretty much from when I was eight years old until I pretty much grew up. Um you know, just a black woman on her own, truly never seeing a male of any kind, not black, white, or purple, never seeing a male support her, never seeing a male take any, you know, pressure off of her or balancing her out, never saw that. So then we as black women, we become grown up women. And now we've watched our mom do everything by herself. And now we truly do not understand the purpose a man serves in our lives. So what can happen is the the first man that comes along is going to define what a man is to you. So God help you if that's an abusive man. Okay. This is what it all comes down to, being open and honest about our upbringing so we can figure out why we tend to do certain things. All right. Um, Now, it was always very important for her to travel us (laughs) Uh, because I, I feel like in the back of her mind, she knew that she was not going to be here for long and she wanted to make it count as much as she could. My mom would buy like a train ticket randomly and we would just get on the train and just like ride and go somewhere. Like that's the type of things that she did. She would take us camping. Um, my mother was very loving, very affectionate. Uh, so that is kind of the blur that I have with her from age eight for and in, in about 10 years after that. That whole part of my life is a blur. I don't remember much of it. Um, it all seems very mushed together. But I do know that the emotion that I do remember over anything else is happy and love. That no matter what we went through, I still felt love from my mom. I still received love from my mother and knew that she wanted the best and she was trying her best. This is what I knew because, you know, sometimes we hear stories about people that were, um, 
you know, that had their mothers sacrifice them for a man. Like in my eyes, I'm like, damn, you know, my mom never had a man, never had a partner. Then you have other women that have stories like, yeah, well, my mom's boyfriend was molesting me and my mom knew about it, you know? So there, it's always those extremes. So it's like, I, I don't, I, like I said, I still don't know why that was, but I'm sure that you know, that was a decision that she made and that's just where she was. And I don't know. I think sometimes we forget, you know, our parents have uh, demons that they have to battle as well. They're not perfect. It's not just that when they have a child that they have no more problems. It's just not the way it goes. So um, that was kind of a blur. Now, if we fast forward to her latter years, um, you know, it's very important for children to have emotional bonds with grandparents and aunts and uncles and their siblings. And because the truth is that we won't be here forever. And it's, it's scary to have a child be, you know, have their parent be the only emotional attachments that they have. And that was definitely the case for myself. My mother was my emotional attachment. She was my emotional support. So during her latter years, when I saw her declining and when I saw that things were different, because like I said, she fought cancer for a good 10 years. It would go into remission and it would come back. Um, so she was definitely a fighter. But towards the end, I could I just felt and I could see that the end was coming. I, I could tell that things were different. Um, she was beginning to get irritable, um, angry. Uh, I don't I think that she was just so incredibly frustrated. I think that that level of frustration along with physical sickness just puts people in a bad pay on a, in a bad space mentally. Um, we've talked about this on the show before, but living with a dying person is extremely stressful. Okay. Because there's multiple factors that go into this. Now, anyone that is listening to this, that is taking care of a terminally ill Relative, I give you so much love, light, and praise because it is extremely hard to do, especially if you're not doing it with a strong support system. So when you're taking care of someone who is dying, there is a level of fear and frustration within them, okay, that unfortunately they will take out on the person that's closest to them. So with my mother and I, that was definitely me. So towards the latter years, her attitude started changing her. She became very quick tempered. Um, it could even possibly be, but the, that the, cause she developed tumors in her brain and they eventually started doing treatments in her brain. And I truly believe that that somehow was affecting her mood because she just started changing into a different person after that rate of the radiation on her brain started. Like I said, quick tempered, angry, um, even becoming violent. Um, so now here I am. And this is why I say, you know, it's so important to really talk to our kids and it's so important to really evaluate them because um, now, granted, the school knew my mother was ill, but they didn't know to the extent. Um, and I didn't know what I was feeling to be able to explain to them what I what was going on. This is why it's important for us as adults to simply pay attention to our youth, because if someone was paying attention, I'm sure they could have picked up on. Okay. This girl, let's let's see what the mental state of her mother is. Okay, her mom is terminally ill. 
um, what's going on at home. That was not a question that was ever asked. So my mother had begun to become violent towards me and extremely short tempered towards me and let her frustration out on me. And I didn't know what to do. Because I'm like, this is my mom, I love her, but I'm really, I began to get tired of being an emotional punching bag and a, and sometimes even a, a physical punching bag. I just got tired. Now, as a, as a young teenager, you simply, your mind has not developed to a point where you can understand certain types of cause and effect. Now, Had my mother been that ill now, at this point in my life, things would go a lot differently because now I would understand the psychology behind someone who is experiencing her level of stress. I understand the psychology behind the overwhelming and anxiety, um, the feelings of anxiety that occur within single mothers. I understand that now. I understand the societal pressures that go against black women. So I would be able to more uh, effectively cope with her behavior. Now, at the time, I did not understand any of this. So in my mind, I just couldn't figure out why, you know, she was acting the way she was acting towards me. I couldn't figure out what I did. I felt sad and, and, and I still have guilt today because I would have times where my mom would sometimes just be so mean to me that I would think to myself, like, I can't wait until you die. And now I have those thoughts where I'm just like, I can't believe I ever thought that. But unfortunately, if I want to speak my truth in that moment, that's how I felt. Because like I said, she wasn't herself anymore. She was a totally different person. Um, so when I meditate to my mother now, when I speak to her, when I go to my altar to talk to her, I just tell her, I forgive you. I understand why you did that. I understand why you acted that way towards me. I understand that it was not a personal attack to me. I understand that you are not an abusive person. You're not a bad person. I understand that you did not have the proper support, the proper help. And I think that despite that, you still did extremely well. Because just because someone passes away, it doesn't mean that the things that they did to you become okay. Let's just go ahead and and say that. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to say, okay, this person died, but they still treated me in this way. And, you know, that, that was hurtful. And then the other beautiful part about that is you can still forgive that person, even if they're gone. You can still gain understanding towards why these things may have happened once a person is gone. Even once they're gone, you can still do that. I found extreme peace when I was able to educate myself on what she did and why she did it and um, was able to bring that peace to myself even though she had transitioned. For your loved ones, especially your parents and grandparents, if you do not have an ancestor altar set up for them, you are seriously missing out. There is so much peace and closeness and comfort that you get from having an altar for your relatives. It 
it immortalizes them. It shows them love and appreciation even after they have transitioned. And an ancestor altar is extremely easy to make. Start somewhere. As we're getting closer to our natural traditions and our our um, original traditions as African people, ancestor altars, that's something that is not inclusive to just one type of African culture. That is something that covers all African cultures. And that's why I say, you know, we can always nitpick about specific African cultures and, you know, things that apply to only them. We can always do that as well. But the truth is, most African cultures all have the same basis. Okay, so an ancestor altar is a great um, example of one of those blanket basis that our um, different type of African culture has. Um, you want to just have um, some kind of white white to set the altar up on. Um, you want to have their photo. Uh, it's nice to put fruit, water, um, a bell. The bell, you know, calls them, wakes them up. You can put coffee on your altar, candles. And... Um, you know, pay that homage. It brings peace. I, I, I will definitely say that when I familiarized myself with the concept of an ancestor altar and then finally decided to implement that within my everyday life, um, it brought me a lot of peace. So if you do have a parent that has transitioned, get that altar up. Okay, it will bring you immense levels of peace and light. Um. So now I'm going to fast forward to 10 years ago today, which, like I said, today is the anniversary of when my mother um, passed away. Um, I remember waking up that morning and Elijah was super cranky that day. He was just like, because Elijah was three months old. He was super cranky that day. Um, Elijah's father was like, trying to get me to make breakfast and I was trying to get his bag together and I just remember that morning feeling so I felt like a chicken with its head cut off I just didn't know if I was coming or going when I left the hospice the night before um she looked she looked dead then when I left and and I had to leave because it was like okay I have this nursing baby all right. He's three months old. I cannot have him out in germs and around all these people. It just I was in I was stuck in such a place at that time because it was like I really want to be there for my mom, but I really need to take care of my baby as well. I wasn't sure which which direction I needed to go in. So, OK, I remember scrambling around that morning and like I said, I'm trying to get everything together to get out the door. And then my phone rings. And it's like when the phone rang, I knew. I knew what this call was about to be. I answered the phone. And the nurse was on the other line. And she was like, your mother passed this morning. I'm very sorry. And the world stopped like in that moment 
time was not continuing forward. In that moment, everything in my life came to a halt. There was nothing else that I could do. The end had came. What this woman just told me, there's nothing I can do to change what she just said. She is gone. And then an extreme feeling of helplessness came over me at that point. And I just stood there like, oh my God, this is it. She's gone. I I had things in my hand. I dropped what was in my hand. Um, my brother came out the room and... I'll never forget the look that he gave me. And when he looked at me and and he saw me crying, he knew I didn't have to say it. I couldn't say it. And I just ran into the room and I have never cried like that. Um, I've never felt so empty and hurt. I I would say that as a child, um, you do understand, okay, my parent passed away. They died. But it's still a feeling of anger and abandonment that you have. After she passed away, I just felt like, how could you leave me? And we're being honest here. This may sound messed up to some people. Some people might think it sounds selfish. I, whatever it is, that's fine. I am just being honest with how I felt at that time. And I'm being honest about this. because, Like I said, if and when the time comes for those listening, um, you can not be mad at yourself for the different emotions that you will feel. You'll know that it's normal. And and there's different levels to transitioning. Uh, if you have a parent that makes it, you know, to live a long life and, you know, I, when they, when they, the day comes where they transition, it's not a tragic transition. It's not like, oh my God, this person's life was taken way too soon. You know, there are not small children being left parentless. That is a different story. Now, um, because that's more of the pain of losing your parent, but it's not a sadness of like tragedy. And there is a difference when it comes to deaths that way. Tragic deaths are a different level of pain. Okay. I, I will say that I had a totally different emotion when my grandmother died than when my mother died because my grandmother was in her 80s when she passed away and she had lived a full life, okay? Um, so I, I just remember that feeling of helplessness. Um, the rest of that day was just a, a blur for me. As... As years went on, I experienced uh, extreme regret and guilt. Once I started to realize that the 
and accepting the kind of stress that my mother was under, I felt like maybe I should have been a little more understanding of how she was feeling as opposed to me just getting upset that I kept being the punching bag and then eventually retaliating. And that's exactly what happened is I eventually got so sick of it that one day my mom went upside my head and I just fought back. I was exhausted. I was tired and inside of myself, I knew that I did not deserve to have, um, you know, this treatment towards me and I fought back, you know, and then I, then I fight back and then I get labeled as like this horrible child that like hit her mom and my mom. And, and, and this is, this was the crazy part about it is like I said, my mom was the most loving, most sweetest woman ever. So when I tell people, no, I hit her because she tried to kill me. You know what I'm saying? They're like, she would never do that. And I'm like, she has changed, you know? And, and so then what that happened, what happened then was that caused me frustration where I would go to school and just be ready to fight and be ready to turn up on somebody because I'm like, nobody is listening to me. That's why I say, listen to our youth. They don't know how to say things flat out. You have to hear what they're saying and then read between the lines. So all they kept doing was they kept on suspending me and giving me referrals for getting in trouble. No one ever saying like she didn't used to get in trouble like this. Like what's happening? Like what's really going on? So, you know, I went through those regrets because I'm like, I regret ever putting my hands on my mom. I regret ever fighting with her or calling her names. And I said hurtful things to her because I was just so hurt. It was just too, you know how they say hurt people hurt people. It was just too hurt people doing whatever they could to try to hurt each other. When you are the oldest child in a single parent household, you become your parents like emotional let out in a way. You become the one that's closest to them. And unfortunately, we as humans, we tend to sometimes do the most on the ones that's closest to us. And when when it's your parent and it's you, what can you do? Because everybody gets tired of, you know, being abused or disrespected, you know. So like I said, I eventually just fought back. And then, like I said, I got labeled as like, Oh my God, she's horrible. And because no one believed what my mom was doing. Like when I told them the things that she was doing, no one believed me. Because if you knew my mom, you would never think that she would be capable of acting that way. So no one believed it. So I just got painted as the bad kid. And I, I think that that's why to this day, a lot of people in my family don't deal with me. I think that somehow they feel like I stressed her out and that's why she died. Not knowing the pre-existing problems that were happening and not knowing what the treatment was doing to her, you know, and not knowing how it was affecting her as a person. So, um, yeah, so went through the regret. Um during my times of regret, I, I would just try to block her out. It was very painful for me to think about her. Um, it was very painful for me to, um, see any photos of her or have anything around me that reminded me of her at all, because 
seeing her just reminded me of the guilt and it just didn't make me feel good. So um, you can go through periods of regret. Then you'll get sick of being sad and you'll get sick of feeling regret. And and it's kind of like when you lose a parent, it's kind of like in your mind, you kind of tell yourself, well, they just went on a vacation and, and they'll be back soon. <laughs> and then when time goes by and this can hit us all differently and, and at different times, but when time goes by, you will eventually get tired of feeling sad. You will get exhausted of feeling regret and you will get to the point where you, you'll be ready to move on. And that is when the healing begins. You have to get tired of being sad. You, you have to get exhausted of playing the, oh, I wish I could have did that. I should have did this. You will get tired of that. Okay. Um. And then it will eventually be time to move forward. So once I got exhausted of wasting my energy and wasting my emotions like that, that's when the healing began. That's when I started to say, okay, these things happened, but why did they happen? Coming to terms, accepting certain things. Um, And it took me being very honest about everything in order to heal. But the healing does eventually come. Uh, you never stop missing them. Because I definitely uh, will never stop missing my mother. I still have times where I get into very dark places. Because I'm going through so many transitions as a woman. Um, in, in my journey of womanhood, you know, not having my mother there for, you know, support when raising my first child and, you know, knowing that she'll never be at my wedding, you know, she'll never be at Elijah's graduations. Like these are the things that you still cope with dealing with, even after that person is gone. Um, however, you eventually come to peace with it. Uh, the better you connect with them to where now I, I can speak to my mother. I can feel her energy. I can feel when she's guiding me. I can feel when she's there for me. And that makes it easier to handle. Um, I I can speak about her without crying now. I can speak about her without feeling sadness for long periods of time. Um, today... Even though it is the anniversary of her passing, um, it still feels like such a happy day to me because it still feels like it happened yesterday. But to be able to really see how much I have healed, um, to really know that I'm able to connect with her and know that she's okay and to know that she's proud of me. And to know that, you know, she loves my son and will be there to guide him throughout his life. Um, Peace is is all you can ask for. Um, I pray for peace for all my sisters and brothers. uh, Through whatever has hurt you or harmed you. 
um, through whatever has affected you negatively, through whatever has caused you pain, I pray for healing and peace within you. If sharing my pain can help heal another's, then I'm an open book. Okay, um, so my mother's name is Isla Nelson. So if everybody out there wants to pour a libation for my mother and pour some water, some spirits into the earth for her, her name is Isla Nelson. She had no middle name, just Isla Nelson, our beautiful esteemed ancestor. Um, I give thanks to you in advance and I will definitely be pouring some out for her too. And mama, I just want you to know that I love you and I want you to continue to rest on and continue to watch over us. Um, for those that follow me on Instagram, you know, we're always having different discussion posts on there. Uh, if you don't follow me, please follow me at goddess six footer. That's G O D D I S underscore S I X F O O T A H. Like, okay, and now back after our commercial break. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> anyway, so we had a discussion and I said, okay, and y'all have heard me talk about this before, but this is something that I will continue to elaborate on until the death of me because I believe in this so strongly. Okay. I, this is what I truly believe in. So you will hear me speak about this because this I cannot get enough. And y'all already know what I'm going to say. Speaking about masculinity and femininity. Um, so I put up a post about how being feminine will save our lives as black women. Um, and that's a pretty strong statement to say. To say that it will save our lives... But I can back that up. I have reasons behind it. Um, just to go over some of the previous reasons is, uh, okay, when you are a feminine woman, you will then be able to attract a masculine mate. Um, because feminine women do not uh, attract unhealthy men because a feminine woman is confident okay a feminine woman is intelligent um a feminine woman stands firm in her beliefs um of a feminine woman is loving um she is kind and she's tactful um these are all things that scare away ain't shit negroes Okay, so when I hear women complain about men, I'm like, well, you must not have tapped into your femininity yet because once you do, you will attract a whole different type of mate because ain't shit Negroes are looking for women with what? Low self-esteem. They're looking for women with less intelligence, less common sense, someone that they can manipulate, someone they can trick. Okay, um, they don't want smart, confident women because they're looking for a woman to leech off of and take care of him. So any women that allow themselves to be disrespected or are giving things to men, those are not women that value themselves. And being a feminine woman, a big part of that is valuing yourself. So the number one way that being feminine will save our lives is it gives us the ability to attract masculine mates. Now, what do you get in a masculine mate? 
uh, with a masculine mate, you're protected. Okay, with, with a masculine mate, he's not going to let anything happen to you. Okay, um, as a woman, I, I know that we've been conditioned to not need a man. Uh, but the truth is, as a woman, you are going to need the protection of a man in your life. Uh, us having to get up in men's faces and do the most to defend ourselves is extremely unnatural. Okay, you're going to need a masculine man in your life to hold things down and make sure the family is all right so that you're not out here doing the most, acting like a dude. Okay, that's not our purpose. A feminine woman will defend herself if she is in a scenario where there is not a man around to protect her. Am I saying that? Because And I know y'all probably like, well, duh, we know that. But y'all will be surprised at the people who will hear me say that. And then they'll be like, so if you're by yourself and there's no man around, you're supposed to just lay down and die if you're being attacked? No, I'm not saying that. Once again, let's just use common sense. I'm not saying that if you're in a scenario where there is nobody to help you or save you, that you should just surrender and just lay down. Of course, you want to defend yourself if you are in a dangerous situation alone. I'm just talking about for general safety, safety of the home, safety of, safety of your family. Um, you need to have that masculine male protection. Unfortunately, um, there have been too many scenarios with black women where... We have gotten hurt while protecting and defending ourselves. Are y'all following me? So, um, and what happens is once somebody sees a black woman getting loud and getting gangster to defend herself, no one else will feel the need to defend her. This is why we have so many examples of black women getting attacked in public and nobody helping her. Because what's happened is we have created this false sense of independence to where people don't even think that we need, sir. They don't, they're not, it's not even on their radar that we even need their help or need their assistance. This is the lack of femininity that is dangerous. Okay, that can mean our lives. That's not good when people look at us and they think, oh, she's fine. She's got it. That's no matter how much y'all think that's cute. That's not cute. No, we definitely need to be feminine so that people can say no. We need to make sure that we defend her. We need to make sure that we protect her. I know that we big and bad, but we're not that big and bad. Um, so we spoke about how mask you will be able to attract a masculine mate. A masculine mate will bring balance to you. He will bring peace to you as well. I know sometimes we think that, you know, the woman brings peace. Um, the man also brings peace too, brothers. It's not just that, oh, I want a woman to be my peace, but you being her hell. No, no, no. It does not work like that, okay? So, um, the attracting of healthy mates. Okay, because then, now how does this trickle down into other things? So now, we're more feminine. So now we're not scaring off the healthy masculine men because healthy masculine men are not going back and forth with no woman. It's just not going to happen. Why would he do that? If he knows the value that he brings as a masculine man, 
Why is he putting up with your stank ass attitude or your stank ass mouth? Why, if 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 he is a man, as a ma- and masculine black men are attacked even harder than non-masculine black men because masculine black men are positive contributing factors to our communities. Okay, so if he is a healthy, masculine black man, that means that they definitely want to kill him. And he's not going to come home and argue with you. It's just not going like that. Okay, he's not having to deal with the attitude of the world against him and then come home and have to deal with your attitude and we know it's true because that's what most women say i need a man that can deal with my mouth and who that can deal with my crazy girl he doesn't want to deal with that who would that might get you a man for a few weeks and y'all might be cool and in the minute he see that he'll be gone that's not going to build you lasting long relationships um so now that we have a masculine man what else does that mean he will raise his children. So look at the other thing that we have checked off the list is the alarming rate at at which we as black women are single and are single mothers. Matter of fact, us being single moms has almost become the norm. It's almost normal now for us to have multiple children by multiple men and the baby daddies, you know, pop in on the weekend and give you a few dollars for clothes for Ray Ray. And then he only shows up for important events and birthdays and parent teacher conferences like that's how it has become normally now that's not even like a stigma anymore like that's how most of us are raising our children and that comes from having children with non-masculine men and the reason why we are able to coexist with these non-masculine men is because you're the masculine one and he's the feminine one because two masculines and two feminines cannot coexist together. This is why even in gay relationships, they have the femme and then they have like the butch. Okay, because two of the same thing, there's no attraction there. So now, if you're a woman who is masculine, all you're going to attract is bands. And bands are bitch ass niggas excuse my language but i have no other term that so accurately describes what i want to say when i'm talking about these kind of guys so now what does that mean children in broken homes okay so what does that mean now if you're a single mother where your baby daddy only pops in on the weekends and drops off some child support money okay and is a once a week weekend daddy Guess what your daughter is more prone to go grow up and do? She is more prone to grow up and do the same thing. My mom was a single mom. I ended up a single mom. That is the way it goes most of the time. Because we watch our mothers. We just talked about this in the previous segment. We watch our mothers be masculine. And then they never, ever receive the mask, the real masculine balance that they need. Because us being masculine is fake masculinity. Okay, it's fake. It's not the real masculinity. So it's toxic. 
and and we're we're because like I said, the real masculine men are not seeking masculine women at all. He want to wear the pants in this relationship. He does not. He's not competing for that spot with you. Okay, and ladies, understand that him wearing the pants, that's not the whole outfit. Okay, understand the outfit is still not complete without the shirt. Okay, so letting him wear the pants is fine because he still needs you, though. And I think that's where we have a problem with being feminine is we somehow think that that means that it puts a man above us. That's not true. It may mean that he might be the head honcho, but it does not mean that you are not valuable in in that process as well. He can't even be the head honcho if he doesn't have a woman and the children to be the head honcho of. You you got to be the head honcho. You got to be in charge of someone. So no one is more important. The leader is important and the followers are important. It's not saying that what a man say go and you should shut up and be in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. It's not saying that at all. It's simply saying that someone has to have the final say so. Okay, so now uh, if we don't um, embrace our femininity, then we remain masculine. Then we have our daughters grow up and do the same thing. And then their daughters grow up and do the same thing. Very rarely will a woman come from a single parent household and be able to grow up and have a totally normal, happy, healthy relationship with a masculine man with no problems whatsoever. That rarely happens because we don't know what we don't know. And a lot of us don't even know that we are in such deep mess as we are. I know I didn't. I know I went the first good 25 years of my life not even knowing how bad a shape I was in. Because as long as we're making money and look cute, people think, oh, well, she must be fine and she must know what she's doing. And that's what we have compensated our lack of femininity with. Now, all you hear women talk about is how much money they're making. Because that void has to get um, filled somewhere. Okay, having a divine purpose of nurturing children and nurturing a family and exhilarating, exhibiting your, your healing powers as a feminine woman, that's major. We need that. We have to have that. Okay? So now that we're not doing that, now we're like, well, we'll just make a whole bunch of money and we'll just, you know, ignore how empty we are with that. And and that's what has happened now. Okay. Um, but that money is not going to save us. That money is not going to save us. Um, as a feminine woman, you're able to break cycles. As a feminine woman, you're able to save our children. A feminine woman is logical. A feminine woman is balanced. Okay? So we're we're not adapting masculine egotistical qualities, which is to say that, well, we've been doing like this and I'm just fine and everybody want to talk about us, but they're not perfect either. And we try to deflect, deflect the attention. That's not feminine either. Being feminine is saying, you know what? Um, There's definitely changes that I need to make. And I'm going to put forth a conscious effort at making those differences and making those changes. 
that is what is going to save our lives. As long as we are out here getting spit on, beat up, left to raise our children on our own, becoming so consumed with money and our an education and businesses that we're neglecting ourselves as women. Do you know how many women are out here aborting their babies because of their careers? All right. I don't know if y'all are ready to go here. Do you know how many of our women have someone else raising their children so they can go out and make a dollar? And you think that we're going to be able to survive for generations and generations like this? Yeah, we might be able to survive, but being able to survive means barely hanging on by a thread. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just survive. I want to live because there is a huge difference. Okay? Yeah, we might be able to survive that way, but are we really living? Are we living in our purpose? Because as long as you are not living in your purpose, you will not feel happy. You will not feel at peace. You will not feel content. And that's why you're going to keep running to them stores to give up as much of your money as you can and keep running to put somebody else's hair on your head and somebody else's nails on your nail. That's what's going to keep happening. We cannot keep living this way. Um, I also was speaking about how... um, Due to our masculine behavior and and that causing us to attract mates that are not raising their children, our mortality rates and our infant mortality rates are are through the roof. How many times do we hear about uh, a certain condition and they say, oh, and it may affect black women worse? And then they always have this complicated reason as to why. No, you know what the real reason is to why? Because we are experiencing significantly higher levels of stress than other women of other races. Stress is the number one killer, period. Okay, and I think that somehow we feel that by accepting this, it means that we're coming down on ourselves, which is not the case at all. That's not the case whatsoever because it's very understandable the predicament that we're in. This is not something that we asked for, nor were we aware the war on the black families, the war on our femininity is not something that we were even aware of. We didn't even know it was happening. And that's how it was able to be successful against us. Okay. You can go out to the polls and vote all day because this is what they've taught us is what's going to save us. They have taught us that we should vote, that we should make more money, and that we should get more education. That is what they are telling us is going to supposedly save us. That is not true. Now, if you're in school getting your degree, great. If you're running a business, that's great, sis. But understand that it does not stop there. Understand that all you are doing is filling a void. Understand that you have to humble yourself to accept divine nature and divine order. If you step outside of your divine purpose, there will be repercussions. Our purpose as women 
are to be bring to bring forth life. Now, was this saying that if you're a woman that can't have children or doesn't have children or doesn't want children that you're the devil? No, I'm not saying that. And I know y'all think it's a stupid disclaimer, but I have to say that because then there'll be that one woman that will say, well, I don't want kids. And so are you telling me that I'm not a real woman? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> okay, because just because you have not birthed a child through your own uterus does not mean you cannot still be a mother. Okay, that means you should still be mentoring the youth. You should still be supporting them. And the number one way that we can support the youth is by setting the example. So that we don't have to continue to make life harder for our girls by them. And and it's so funny because like we discourage our girls like, oh, don't be making your decisions based upon a man When the truth is, if our daughters can be young and they can have healthy masculine husbands, that is going to make her life better. You know, I I think that so many times we discourage our girls from getting married and we discourage them from quote unquote needing men. And then she goes to the point of no return. Uh, and, And once again, we're not talking about unhealthy men. We're talking about healthy masculine partners. Okay, that's always going to make her life better. That way she'll have protection in this world. Okay, that way she'll have someone to support her in this world. I would never teach my daughter, oh no, go to school first and worry about your career first. Worry about love later. No, that doesn't make any sense. How does having a healthy relationship stop any of that? Because now what you've done is you've trained our daughters to think that they can't do both. (laughs) You've trained our daughters to think that their degree is more important than a marriage. That that piece of paper on that certificate from college means more than their uh, license as a wife. And that's why we have a high divorce rate now, which is high, but I will say it's going down. If you do your research, our divorce rates are getting lower. Okay, we're making progress. It's not as high as it used to be. Let me just throw that in there. Um, But yeah, a a healthy masculine mate will help her press through to get an education. Help her press through to reach where she wants to reach in her career. All this is dangerous, passed down rhetoric. Oh, worry about yourself before you worry about that? No, you accept a healthy masculine mate whenever he comes along. And if he comes along young, that's fine. You don't push him away and tell her she doesn't need him. Okay, he just will support her through her journey and she'll do the same for him. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to finish that discussion up and expound on that. Because like I said, we had a discussion online. And uh, I just wanted to dip back into that subject because... Um, This is something that's so important. And whenever it's something important like this, it requires repetition and it requires us to have multiple conversations about it um, so that we can make the progress that we need to make. So, ladies, let's embrace that femininity if we don't do nothing else. I feel like by now my followers already know what's up. They already know what I'm on, what I'm not on, all that stuff. So, (laughs) um. Now, I, I'm not afraid to speak out and say that I do not agree with homosexuality, that I am not okay with homosexuality, that 
I do not accept homosexuality. And then the question gets brought up of why? You know, I I have people that genuinely want to know. They're like, why? You know, and, and it used to, you know, aggravate me when people would say that. And then I said, you know what? I guess that is a fair question. Um... And I'm going to go ahead and answer that. So let's let's pose that question. Why should people that are, um, if you want to call it pro-black or uh, woke, whatever you want to call it, um, why are people that live that lifestyle and live in that way, why, why is homosexuality not on that agenda? Now... I tell you all the time, and I'm sure we all can see it in our everyday life, that we are at war. That is clear. That is apparent. Uh, I don't think that we need to debate that. Now, let's say you're in a war, and um, so bullets are flying, bombs are flying, and then you stop because someone says, oh, hey, um, my shoe is untied, and I really need someone to come help me tie my shoe. So you stop what you're doing and you go help this person tie their shoe. Now, is that realistic? And 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 I, and I don't want anyone to feel like this seems unrealistic or this seems extreme because this is exactly how it is for us in our real life today. We are literally dying. Okay? It is literally open season on us, on our children. So if you look at this anything besides a flaming raging war, Maybe you don't value your children or yourself that much. But for me, I value my family very highly. So I am totally accepting and aware of the fact that we are at a full-blown war. Now, I said all that to say, um, how dare you, as a black adult, take any time or attention away from uh, the war on our children, um, the war on your people. How dare you take time out of that to use energy to preserve the rights and quote-unquote fight, because that's what it's called, fighting for the rights, right? Okay, so now you're in a war where our children are being slaughtered and... You want to take time and energy away from that to fight for your right to um, penetrate a man's behind, to rub up on another woman all night together. How dare you? Okay. Um. Like I say all the time, there's there's no gray area. It's extremely black or white, no pun intended, in these scenarios. There is no, and then they'll say, oh, well, six of God, I could be gay and I could still care about my people and still, no, you cannot. Let's just talk about the basis of things that you have to be on if you are for your people, if you are for your culture. You got to be about family, okay? Um... You got to be about nation building. Uh, you have to be about culture. Um, you have to be about generational legacy and greatness. These are the things that you have to do. This is not optional. 
If you're not about any one or any of these things, then you're not truly a person that is for your people. That's the way it works. And you can stop your feet and cry all day and say, oh, yes, it is, but it's not. Okay, you can't pick and choose. And see, I think that I call it the Christianity effect because people are used to doing that with Christianity and picking and choosing which rules they will or will not follow and then still being able to hold the title of a quote unquote Christian. Yet, in my experience, what I've seen, the most Christian holiest people are the ones being the most promiscuous drinking, smoking, doing the most, you know what I'm saying? So they're used to that. So that's how everybody has become trained that I don't have to follow all the rules, but I can still claim the set. No, it don't work like that when you're a fighter for your people. Okay. So any energy that you are, there is nothing on this planet more important to me than our children. There is nothing on this planet more important to me than seeing my people truly free because as of right now, you know, the, the main bondage that we are at, we have is in our minds. Okay, there is nothing more important to me than watching our children not have to lick white people's asses to get anywhere in life. There is nothing more important there is there is not another fight that I'm going to take my energy away from this for. So when I see black people, you know, oh my God, we will not be erased. Oh no, we're going to fight for our rights as men to wear a dress. That's a mental illness. Okay, when you have your priorities that far out of whack, you're suffering in the mind. Okay. Now, so these are the reasons why homosexuality is um, not accepted. It's why you cannot. And this is my thing. If you want to be gay and still feel like you want to be for your people, then, you know, you do that. What you do behind closed doors is your business. Okay. But I never understood. I still don't understand Because I try to put myself in everyone's shoes. So I say, okay, if I was a gay black person, how would I conduct myself? And what I would do is I would say, first of all, I would accept that it's wrong. People do things every day that are wrong. And, you know, there's no point in trying to convince people it's right or guilting people or putting titles of homophobic on people when they don't think it's right. If I was gay, I would just be like, I know it's wrong. And I totally understand anyone that does not want to come on board with it I mean I, I still don't understand like and that's why I say it's a sickness it's an agenda because gay people find the need to flame it in your face all the time they get upset with you if you do not accept it they get upset with you if you don't let them sit at the table you can't sit at our table because we're focusing on a better future for our children you are focused on your right to wear a dress we're not the same Okay, we're focused on keeping our children from being shot and having their killers go on vacations and retire early with lump sums of money. You are fighting for your right to munch carpet. We're not the same. This is why you cannot sit with us. It is selfish of you to expect people to accept something that is destructive to your people. It is destructive to your people. Homosexuality effeminizes men. 
You cannot be a masculine real man when you are getting pumped in your behind. It does not work like that. You can stomp your feet and snap your fingers and get mad all day. That's just not the way it works. Everybody is so selfish and we live in this narcissistic society which says I can do whatever I want and everyone should be okay with it and I am totally disregarding how anyone else feels. That's what it is. Okay, if you're on the battlefield and you see one of our children with their arm blown off and you skip over them to handle something else, we're not the same. And I'm using this as an illustration, as an example. I'm not speaking literally. I'm speaking figuratively. Okay, Um, being about your people means healthy behavior. If you're going to insult my intelligence by telling me that homosexuality is healthy behavior, once again, you can't sit at this table. We are not the same. Okay, I don't even mind homosexual people, you know, being part of the cause as long as they keep it in their bedroom. I should not have to see and hear about what you're doing behind closed doors. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, gay people should be shunned and we can't deal with them. No, because I know um, I know people who have uh, been gay in the past and have uh, taken time to think and meditate on it and have came forward later and said, you know what? It is wrong. You know, I'm not going to condone this anymore. So I'm not going to say, oh, if you're gay, you, you know, you're totally out of here. But I will say be respectful. I will say, understand that's a demon that you are fighting and you need to keep it with you. That is not something that we can, being being part of the cause means that the children can watch us. Okay, the children can't, uh, a young boy can't watch you kissing no other man. A young boy can't watch you in a dress. Our children do everything that we do. This is why homosexuality is not accepted. Okay, For the people that needed a reason, some people don't need a reason. Some people already know it's wrong and you don't need to. I don't have to explain it to them. Some people genuinely need someone to break it down for them. And what I will say is it's not a part of our culture. It's never been. It's not a part of our traditions and it's destructive. And it's destructive because it's not constructive. So if you're not constructive, you're destructive. There's no in between. Okay, um... We, in order to be pro-black, in order to be for your people, you have to 100% be on board with building with, as a black woman, building with a black man, or as a black man, building with a black woman. I'm not saying that we all have to have children. There may be people that don't want to have children. That's fine. As, like I say, even if you don't have children of your own, you still have children because all of, because our children belong to all of us. My son is your son as well. Okay, we have enough African children on this planet that are not taken care of for me to say, oh, black people that don't want to have children are wrong. No, I can't say that. Okay, we're not going to die out if a few black people decide they're not going to have children. That's why I said if you are gay and that's what you decide to do and you still want to be involved with your people, then fine. Just don't have the children even knowing what's going on. You see what I'm saying? Don't flaunt it. Don't promote it. When I was a dancer, in my latter years of my career, I was still dancing and I 100% knew it was wrong and I stopped promoting it. I stopped posting about it on social media. I stopped talking about it. No one would have ever known that that's what I was doing unless I told you. So I can still be involved and still work on my own demons and work on the things I needed to change and it didn't affect anyone but me and that's fine. So I don't understand why gay people can't do the same thing. Why do you have to flame it in our children's faces? You are not going to tell me that you truly think 
think that that is constructive to their psyche and their upbringing. You can't possibly tell me that. Okay? Um, it ain't what you do, it's how you do it, brothers and sisters. I love all my brothers and sisters. Even the ones that are mentally ill, even the ones that are screwed up, I still love you. Because I know that, you know, it's just conditioning. Alright? Um, uh, yeah, so... Anything that is destructive to us as a people, we can't be about it. We can't be for it. You cannot be a black person fighting for gay rights. You should be ashamed of yourself. How dare you? Okay. How dare you? The United States is not stopping you when you're at home behind closed doors with your sexual partner. They have no say so and they have no part of that. So why are you taking time out of your day to fight for that? To even open your mouth about that. To take any energy away from... You can hide that you're gay. You can't hide that you're black. Okay? <laughs> you can put on a straight face. No pun intended. But you can't uh, hide your race. Okay? So... Why on earth you would take away from the more important battle to fight for that? I don't know. Okay, so so that's what it's about, brothers and sisters. Is it destructive? Now, and and I want to also make this clear at all. I'm also not telling you, oh, when we see gay people, we should be, you know, shooting them dead. We should hate them. Okay, remember, we are not wasting our energy hating anyone. Our gay brothers and sisters are sick. Okay, they're mentally ill. Do do we get mad at a handicapped person because they can't walk? No. So we can't get mad at a gay person because they're gay. Look at the conditioning that has been set up around us. Okay, um, so still love you. My gay listeners, I still love you. But once again, it's not what we're doing. It's how we do it. Okay, and this goes for everybody. Everybody doing wrong should not be promoting it. Like I said, if you're dancing, if you're doing drugs, if you're an alcoholic, whatever it is that is your vice, whatever it is that is your demon, none of it should be promoted to our youth. Okay? Because once again, everything that we do, they follow. Um, so I just wanted to have a segment on that because, you know, the homosexual agenda and the interracial agenda is being, when I say forced upon us, I mean forced upon us. You cannot flip, flip through the TV channels without seeing that at some point. Okay, so it's important for us to have these discussions. Uh, you know, I'm definitely trying to be more patient with people when they ask me questions because, like I said, in my mind, I'm like, okay come on now do I really need to explain why being gay is wrong do I really need to understand why as a person that is for their people they cannot be in agreement and condone homosexuality and I really feel like majority of people that condone homosexuality do so because they're scared because they know that if they say anything like I don't agree with it they're slapped with a homophobic label and the gay people are mad at them I, I I don't care what gay people get mad at me for what I said, because if you're not understanding my point of view, then maybe your mental illness is too far gone, you know, for you to really accept it. Let's just be honest and mature here. Let's keep it real with ourselves. Let's put our ego and feelings aside. And if you do that, then what I'm saying will make perfect sense to you, period. If you can't understand what I'm saying and you're just 
dealing on strict. I don't care. Well, this is how I feel, and that's what it is, and that's fine too. But you know, um, these discussions are necessary, and I'm glad that we had them. Um, I I want everyone to feel free to shoot me your opinion. If you have a different opinion, I'm open to hearing it. Y'all already know you can always email me at sixagoddess at yahoo.com or you can DM me on Instagram. Um, But that's my stance and that's why I say what I say about homosexuality and I said what I said. And after I have gone way over time, (laughs) uh, that is it for this week. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm telling y'all, like, this show... When I hear feedback from people about how this show opened their eyes to certain things or helped them heal with certain things or helped them understand, I cannot tell you all the immense, um, the immense just payback and the immense just fulfillment that I feel from this show. When I first started the show, I really felt like no one's going to care about what I have to say. And, you know, for the show to be going on almost a year now and, you know, for us to be where we're at, I'm very happy about it. Um, anyway, like I said, that's it for this week. Uh, I am getting ready to go out to L.A. this weekend. Listeners, hit me up. Uh, Some great things coming your way for everyone. Uh, You'll be seeing a lot more of Six the Goddess um, very soon. I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in. Please continue to rate, review, and send me show ideas. And as always, peace, love, and black power.